here to present the national championship trophy from the college football playoff, the executive director of the CFP, Mr. Bill Hancock. Bill? Thank you, Reese. First of all, I want to congratulate both teams on an incredible effort tonight. You reminded us why we love the great game of college football so much. And now on behalf of the conferences and schools that manage the college football playoff, it's my pleasure to present the national championship trophy to Coach Davo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. This is the moment that you believed would happen. You knew it would. You gave that vision to your team. What's it like now that you're experiencing and holding that trophy? Well, it's just, it's a blessing. It's, it's surreal. I, I love my team. I told them tonight that the difference in this game would be the love that they have for each other. I knew they wouldn't quit. And I talked to them about Letting the light inside of them always be brighter than the light that's shining on them. And if they focused on that, that they'd be okay. But I'm just telling you, only God can do this. Eight years ago, eight years ago, Terry Don Phillips gave me a chance to lead this program. We set out to put Clemson back on top. We came up a little short last year, but tonight, at the top of the mountain, that Clemson flag is flying. And I'm telling you, these players, this has been the most incredible team I've ever been around. Y'all saw their heart, and it's been there all year, despite what some of those people say. And I'm going to tell you this, our fans deserve this 35 years since Clemson's been on top. All right, that was Coach Dabo Swinney after last night's incredible national championship game in college football. The best, <laughs> and I actually stopped his speech short there for the sake of time, but the best acceptance speech at a victory that I have heard in a really long time. You know, I had all kinds of other stuff prepared for today's show, but then last after last night's game, I thought <laughs> we got to talk about this today because there is a story here. But first, just let me let you know in case you weren't aware, you're listening to the Frittle Show on KBXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio. Here in Las Vegas, we're coming to you live from Liberty Baptist Church today. And don't forget, our Family Life Conference is tonight at 6.30 p.m. If you're in Las Vegas, you want to join us for more exciting sessions. Last night was incredible. And after last night's uh, sessions here at our Family Life Conference, I got home, was able to catch, uh, I think, about the last five or six minutes of the national championship game. And really, that's all you needed to see. I forgot to record the game. I was going to record the whole thing and, and then just watch it today. But I'm glad that I got home in time for the end and that I just watched the end because it was amazing. Um, I forget what the score I, f- I think the score was like 21-24 Alabama was winning when I first turned it on. And then Clemson drives down the field, um, scores a touchdown. Looks like they have all the momentum. 
Then Alabama answers. They drive down the field. They've got this trick play going on. The quarterback runs was like a 40-yard touchdown, 35, 40 yards, something like that. Just runs it in. Amazing. And it looked like, oh, it is over. Alabama just, that's it. Alabama's got it. No. Then Deshaun Watson comes out, leads the Tigers down the field again. One second left on the clock. One second when he throws the touchdown pass that wins the game. Then (laughs) they kick off, and because the ball was recovered on... Okay, well, if you missed it, uh, Clemson, there's one second left on the clock, so they have to kick off to Alabama. So what they do is they kick... Well, if you recorded it... Well, it doesn't matter because you already know who won. Anyway, I was going to tell you not to listen, but this, I mean, it'd just be like icing on the cake. So they, they kick it like an onside kick, um, and Clemson just surrounds the ball. As soon as it passes that 10 yard, it has to, uh, for an onside kick, the ball has to go 10 yards before the kicking team can recover it, or else it's a penalty and the other team gets the ball. So it goes exactly 10 yards, and the kicker recovers it. He knows precisely where he needs to be he recovers the ball on the ground but because the ball was not recovered uh because the ball was recovered on the ground rather no time comes off the clock so there's still a second left so everybody's charging the field everybody's all excited game over we win we win Clemson's going crazy and the refs are like get off the field get off the field there's still a second on the clock but it was so uh it was so appropriate because then Deshaun Watson was able to come out and uh and kneel for that one second in victory formation and Clemson just their comeback story is amazing and I you know I feel bad for all the Alabama fans but it was just a fantastic at least the end of the game I'm assuming the whole game was great but the end just amazing and I'm not a huge college football fan but I tell you what the college games tend to just have so much excitement you know there's more by ways of trick plays there's more back and forth Uh, I love that um I don't know if you all remember, like five, ten years ago. I don't even remember. But it was so, college football was so defensively dominated that you'd have entire games where the score would be like 10 to 6. Epic defensive battle. And and that is true. But it kind of makes for really boring football to watch. So I just didn't watch much college football for a while because it was always about the defense back when it was LSU and Alabama all the time or the Gators and Alabama. But now that there's the playoffs and the college football is more offensive um minded that is it's just gotten to me it's it's exciting I've watched a couple games this year and I was impressed anyway so the reason though that I wanted to start the show with this today uh, by the way we're going to have Shanti Feldman she's the author of for women only and her new book is the kindness challenge she's going to be here at the bottom of the hour so stay tuned for that but the reason I wanted to start with the Clemson victory is because coach Dabo Swinney's speech I didn't really know anything about this guy. I mean, I was cheering for Clemson. I kind of like Clemson because my brother likes Clemson. He's going to school in South Carolina. His girlfriend their family's huge Clemson fans. He goes to Clemson games with them and so on and so forth. So I was rooting for Clemson for their sake. But I didn't really know anything about them except they're Clemson. They wear orange. Orange is a good football color. Yeah, that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge. And then when I heard Coach Dabo's speech, I was like, I need to find out more about this guy. So I started doing some reading, and I thought, everybody needs to know more about this guy. I mean, both him and the and the quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Google Deshaun Watson's story. Um, this kid, he grew up in, in, in government housing. Um, work done. He played for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I believe it was. But Work Done's family actually gave Watson's 
or I mean, uh, not his family, his charity gave Watson's family a home when when uh, when Watson was growing up and his story um just incredible the odds that he overcame and so when when he and coach Dabo were talking about giving glory to God their their story you know I think it's easy to think some people oh well they just say that because that's what you're supposed to say but with these guys when they say that they mean it I mean you you need to if you're if you like football at all if you like sports if you like reading good testimonies Google Deshaun Watson's story and read that. And I'm going to share with you today uh, Coach Dabo's story because it's just, it's amazing. It's really, it's just so good. It's literally a story of, of family redemption and there's there's some rough patches throughout, but stick with this. This is an ESPN piece. Um, who, who wrote this? Mark Schlabach wrote this. It's an ESPN. Dabo Swinney overcame pain and poverty to make history. Carol McIntosh still remembers when she noticed what she noticed when she cradled her third son for the first time in a hospital bed more than 46 years ago. He was holding his hands up in fists, McIntosh said. I knew he was going to be a fighter. Indeed, William Christopher Swinney came into the world with a resolute spirit and has been fighting for his family and the people closest to him ever since. Of course, Swinney's first day on Earth might have been one of the few times anyone close to him actually called him by his birth name. Soon thereafter, his older brother Tripp, who was still a toddler, started calling him That Boy, which apparently sounds like Dabo in some parts of Alabama. And it stuck. And last night, Coach Dabo Swinney led the number one Clemson Tigers to a national championship. The first one since 1981. While it was undoubtedly the biggest game of Swinney's coaching career, it is far from the biggest battle of his life. His difficult family life as a young man, as well as his unrelenting determination to forge a better life for not only himself, but also his family, has transformed that boy into the ultimate scrapper. He's always been the underdog, said former Alabama quarterback Jay Barker, one of Swinney's teammates. He has had to fight for everything and has never been given anything. That w- that's what has made him so successful. He loves being the underdog because he's lived it his entire life. As a boy, Swinney didn't have to look far for inspiration. His mother, the former Carol McGraw, was afflicted with polio when she was just two years old, shortly after her own parents had divorced. She spent most of the next 11 years as a patient at the Crippled Children's Clinic and Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. Because the polio attacked her muscles, she was temporarily paralyzed and was also stricken with scoliosis. Polio infected most of her upper body and she was placed in an iron lung to help her breathe. At one point, McIntosh's body was so disfigured that her head could touch the side of her feet. She spent 14 months in a knee-to-neck body cast, which allowed her only the use of her arms. Doctors told her mother that she would never have a normal life and she would never walk again. I was isolated from my family, McIntosh said. I never grew up with my siblings. My mother was only able to see me twice a week for a very short time, but she could only see me through glass. Miraculously, after undergoing more than a decade of treatment and two surgeries to straighten her spine, McIntosh walked out of the hospital. She was homeschooled for a couple of years and then attended Woodlawn High School. She was a majorette in the marching band and featured on the cover of the Birmingham News Sunday magazine. That right there is a miracle in this story. I mean, this girl hospitalized from the age of two separated from her family where her mom could only visit her two times a week and could only see her through glass for 11 years of her her entire childhood. 
spent in the hospital. The doctor said she'll never walk. She'll never have a normal life. And she walks out of the hospital. This is Coach Dabo's mom. This is back before medicine was what it is today. Well, that's just the beginning of the story. Two weeks after McIntosh graduated from high school, she married her first love, Ervil Swinney, who owned a family gas station. Before long, he opened an appliance repair business and was operating three shops. Their first son, Tracy, was born in 1964, and then Tripp was born in 1968. Dabo was born the next year. Life was good for the growing family. He was really just a nice, good person, McIntosh said of her husband, Ervil. He was a good father for a long time, and we were just an average family. Perhaps more than anything else, Ervil Swimmy passed along his love for University of Alabama football to his sons. On Sunday mornings during football season, Dabo and his father watched the Bear Bryant show on TV while drinking Coca-Cola and eating Golden Flake potato chips. Dabo grew to become a passionate Crimson Tide fan. He walked down the halls of his elementary school wearing an Alabama hat and waving a big foam number one finger in crimson and white pom-poms. My dad was the biggest Alabama fan ever, and I was brainwashed, Swinney said, and Alabama, when you come out of the hospital, they have to stamp your birth certificate with either Alabama or Auburn, or you can't leave. Ervil Swinney also loved Coach Bryant, who guided the Crimson Tide to seven national championships in 25 seasons, and his youngest son loved the larger-than-life coach, too. I thought he was the greatest thing ever, Dabo Swinney said. In fact, Swimmy remembers hearing whispers in the hallway of his middle school when Bryant died in January of 1983. It devastated me because I was going to play for Coach Bryant's when he said he was my hero. I never got to meet him, and I was devastated by that. One of the best memories of Swinney's childhood occurred on New Year's Day, 1980, when a family's friend invited the Swinney's to New Orleans to watch Alabama beat Arkansas 24-9 in the Sugar Bowl. That's all I knew, Swinney said. I always told people Alabama was the smartest state because it has four A's and a B. During the 1980s, the nurturing home life that Swimmy had always known started to crumble around him. In 1984, when his brother Tripp was 16 years old, he was involved in a serious car accident and was badly injured. The car in which Tripp was riding plowed through a neighbor's house, throwing him out of the windshield. He suffered severe head injuries and was in a coma for a couple weeks. Doctors told McIntosh her son might not survive, and after Tripp woke up, he had severe memory loss. He didn't recognize his parents or his brothers. McIntosh spent several weeks working with her middle son to restore his memory. Finally, after the family's poodle barked at the doorbell, Tripp called out the dog's name and his memory slowly returned. But Tripp's injuries had a lasting effect and he has battled alcoholism for much of his life. After Tripp was briefly homeless in Atlanta, Dabo paid for him to attend six months of treatment. Tripp was sober for several years before a recent relapse. Ervil Swinney, Dabo's father, also battled his own demons. When Dabo was in high school, his father's business started to slow down. Eventually, Ervil was more than $250,000 in debt, and as he struggled to pay the bills, he turned to alcohol. On the nights his father drank, Dabo escaped to the backyard or the roof of his house. On some nights, Dabo even slept in the family's car until his father woke up sober. I just think he couldn't deal with losing his business, McIntosh said. He was a person that couldn't drink it. It made him very violent. He'd be gone for days and wouldn't remember where he'd been. He wouldn't remember what he'd done until we told him. McIntosh shielded her three sons from much of the domestic violence in their home. She hoped to keep her marriage intact until her youngest son graduated from high school. I kept thinking it would get better because I know the good person in there. I knew I wanted to keep a home for my boys. Excuse me. I have to sneeze. And wanted to keep us together. Finally, Tracy Swinney, her son, 
told her that she should leave his father. They divorced, and the family's home was foreclosed. When Dabo learned his parents were divorcing, he cried in the field house at his high school. It affected him a lot more than me, said Dabo's brother, who now operates Dabo's All-In Team Foundation. When the storm hit, he was right there in the middle of it. I didn't want to be that person either. I couldn't understand why someone needed alcohol to survive. With his older brothers gone, Dabo and his mother stayed in motels and then moved into a condo. They were evicted after only three months because they couldn't pay the rent. Macintosh, who had always been a homemaker, earned just $8 an hour working at a department store. They temporarily moved into the small apartment of Dabo's grandmother and then bounced around friends' homes. Despite their struggles, Swinney was an honor roll student and football star in high school and enrolled in the University of Alabama in 1988. A lot of kids would have gone the other way and not dealt with it. But Dabo was a very positive person, always saw the good and thought he could make it work. He was no different than he is now. He kept us laughing and motivated me even in my darkest days, his mother said. Shortly after Swinney moved to Tuscaloosa, Alabama in 1988, he invited his mother there to show her his apartment. He told her, you can live here with me and my roommate. We can all live here together. The only problem was that Unit 81 at Fontainebleau Apartments near campus only had two bedrooms. She would have to share a bedroom with her son, and Alex Morton, a friend of theirs, would take the other bedroom. Dabo, that would be kind of hard, she said. But as far as Swinney was concerned, there wasn't a crowd. It was a family. He showed his mother his bedroom. He pushed his bed against the wall and divided the room in half. When Macintosh told her son there wasn't enough room for her clothes in their closet, he just added another broomstick so that she could hang more. And somehow, Swinney and his mother made it work. Macintosh kept her job in Birmingham and worked nights and weekends, so she wasn't at the apartment much. They shared a bed for three years until they later moved into a three-bedroom house. Dabo's approach was that he wasn't embarrassed and didn't shy away from it. He said, this is the cards I was dealt, and it's part of who he is. It's a part of God's plan for him. Everyone just accepted it and went with it. We all loved her, and she loved us, us, said Alabama safety Chris Donnelly, one of Swimmy's roommates. On her off days, she would cook chicken and dumplings and other meals for Swinney and his friends and attend Christian uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes meetings with her son and Bible studies at the coaches' homes. When you go back and talk about these things, it turns up so many memories because it was hard and our hearts were broken. But those were some of the happiest times of my life because we were together, safe and peaceful. We didn't have much, but we had everything we needed. We were together, Dabo's mom said. Oh, I don't have time to finish the story right now because we got to take a break because Shanti's going to be here in just a minute. But uh, it keeps going. And Dabo plays for Alabama. Not much, but he does make the team. He gets a scholarship. Uh, he he's about to have to leave school because he can't pay the rent and he needs a thousand dollars, which at the time to them might have well been a, a million dollars. And the last day for him to be able to to pay the bills to stay in school, he gets a thousand dollar check. Um, it, it it goes on. Let me see. There's one part that I want to finish with this here. Uh, by the end of his college career, Swinney had reconciled with his father, who was there to see his son graduate. Every time Dabo saw Dad, he was trying to influence him, Tracy Swinney said. He'd tell him, why don't you stop drinking? Why don't you go to church? Why don't you put all of this behind you? And one day, God put his hand on him, and he did. At first, Irville Swinney promised to cut down on his drinking, and when he remarried in 1997, he stopped completely. He got his life right with the Lord, and it was amazing to watch the last 14 or 15 years of his life. He figured it all out, and it was special. That's because of his son not giving up on him and encouraging him to get back in church and to get his life right. And, of course, now, as we all know, uh, Dabo Swinney has been coaching with Clemson since 2003. And uh, 
in 2008, was named the interim coach and then the head coach, now national champions. It's an amazing story, and there were a lot more details there that I had to leave out because of, of time constraints, but I encourage you, if you have the time, to go and listen. Uh, you can look up his story. There's, there's video of it. You can read it. Check it out. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're going to have Shanti Feldman here to talk about her new book, The Kindness Challenge. Don't go away. And welcome back. You're listening to The Frittle Show here on KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. Today we have Shanti Felden is with us on the phone. Shanti, thank you for being here. How are you? I am doing great. Good morning. Good morning. So let me tell people in case they're like, oh, I know that name. Why do I know that name? It's probably because you've written for women only, for men only, The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages. You've sold over, what, is it two or three million books now? Yeah. That's a, that's pretty, an incredible it's, accomplishment. It's crazy. I just got um, like the third Chinese language translation recently. <laughs> like, That's amazing. Crazy. That is amazing. 24 languages your books are in now, which is just uh, phenomenal. And this latest book of yours you're here to talk with us about is The Kindness Challenge, 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. So, Let's let's talk about this. You know, I picked it up. You guys, uh, we're actually giving away a copy of your book this Friday. It's our weekly giveaway. We're going to give away the Kindness oh, Challenge. Cool. Yeah, we're going to give that away on Friday. Um, but I picked it up because you sent us copies, and I like the, the the Kindness Challenge. What is this? What is what is this secret that in thirty days can improve any relationship? So tell us what what is what is the Kindness Challenge? What on earth is this? You know, it's interesting. I'm a I'm a researcher, right? I I do all these studies, and I try to figure out, like, okay, if you're going to make this or that little change, what is it that's going to really dramatically improve a relationship or your life or, or whatever? And I started to realize as I was going through all these different studies and then this, this most recent one that whether you thrive in your life and your relationships, it turns out it is way more related to how you treat other people mm. than how you yourself are treated, and, I mean, we kind of know that. Like, we've heard that a few times, like the golden rule, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we sort of heard that. <laughs> but, but I started looking at, like, what does that mean exactly? What, do you, what can you do differently? And realize it comes down to there's three little things that if you do them every day for 30 days, this is what we tested on the surveys this time. If you do these three little things, it turns out you're really being kind. That's what it boils down to. And it dramatically improved most relationships, even though it was super simple. So I'm not going to ask you what the three things are because they're they're outlined in depth in the book, and obviously we want people. Oh no, to... no, I can tell you. Oh, that. you could. Oh, okay, I you give away the secret. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, absolutely. So the... it, I mean, seriously, we don't always know how to apply them. So obviously, I hope sure. people get the book. But no, these three things are super simple. This is all you need. So literally, like, pick somebody that you want a better relationship with. Mm -hmm. And this could be, you know, this could be your spouse. I mean, maybe you have a good relationship. You just want it to be a great one. Or maybe it's a little troubled. Or maybe it's your mother-in-law. Right? <laughs> like, Or that, that colleague who you want to strangle um, in mm -hmm. Christian love, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and you do these three things. So you pick that person. And then for 30 days, first, you don't say anything negative about them, mm. either to them or about them to somebody else. 
And that's where we usually sabotage ourselves and our relationship and we don't realize it. Like I can be really sweet to my mother-in-law to her face, but if I drive away and I'm complaining to my husband, I'm just actually hurt how I feel about the relationship. The second thing that you do is every day for 30 days, you find one thing that is positive that you can sincerely praise and you tell that person and you tell somebody else. So, you know, you can't complain that your mother-in-law is passive aggressive, (laughs) (laughs) but you, you notice you're looking for things to praise. And so you go, you know, she always watches the kids when you ask her to, and you tell her, thank you. And then you tell your husband, you know, it's really sweet. She always watches the kids. And you're, what you're doing is you're focusing on the things that are worthy of praise mm-hmm. rather than the things that are worthy of driving you crazy. And then the third thing, every day for 30 days, you do one little act of kindness or generosity, like a little action of some kind. So, you know, maybe she really needs 15 minutes on the phone with you and you really don't have it. You're busy with deadlines or whatever. You you give that 15 minutes to her anyway. That That's a little action of generosity. And it's these three things are so simple, but we found that 89% of relationships improved. Yeah, that's amazing. And what I love about this is that this is not something that's hard. I mean, it is difficult because you have to get past that because we've it's so ingrained in our culture that complaining is okay and that we can grumble and that we can murmur and we can oh, I hate this person without, you know, not really hate, but, you know, we hate them. And yeah. uh, but what's what I love about this is that 89 percent of relationships improve by doing this. But it nothing is changing really about the other person. The only thing that's changing is your personal mindset and the way that you are approaching the situation and the person. And like you said, it's choosing to focus on like what says in Philippians that we're choosing to focus on what is good and just and and find something that we can praise these praise people oh, for yeah. that that maybe you know they they get under our skin a little bit but we can change that and and it, and they don't have to change the things that they do that annoy us they can still be there but it's about changing our mentality well and believe it or not it turns out uh, not that this should be a huge surprise to us but sometimes without realizing it we've been doing things that yeah. have been causing the problem and so suddenly when we stop doing those things yeah. suddenly the other person does change it's crazy i mean like for example that number one thing don't say anything negative mm-hmm. right so one of the things that i first thought and i'm going to confess this to you and all of your closest friends <laughs> is that i thought doing the numbers one two and three that I would be fine with number one. It's just two and three I needed to work on. But, mm. you know, I'm kind of a positive person, glass half full kind of gal. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to have any, I'm not a negative person. I'm not going to have any problem with that. Sure. Oh, my word. Once I actually started the research and started cataloging all the different types of negativity, I realized I am negative every single day. One of the types of negativity is exasperation. Mm. And I get exasperated with my kids all the time. And I don't realize that what I'm saying is, you're an idiot. Like, I would never <laughs> say that out loud, but that's what I'm saying. And so uh, I, we don't have time to go through them all here, but that's one of the things I identified. Like, I want people to actually go through and look at the lists and go, Okay, that is me. I wouldn't have recognized it, but that's 
that's negativity. Or, or you know what? I'm doing a pretty good job at this one. Give yourself credit. Like, identify the ones that you most need to work on. Yeah, and I, I love that, too. And like you said, we don't have time to go through the whole list, but you have a list um, in the book of seven ways that we can be unkind without even realizing it. And I think that's so key, too, because, as you said, there are things that we do that we don't even recognize that as being something that, you know, it, it may not be it may not be the best for our relationships but we don't even realize that we're doing it so there's those things are there different ways you'd said uh one of the three things so the third thing is to find a small way to express kindness are there different ways that we express kindness just like there's different ways that maybe we don't know that we are being unkind yeah, great question. Yeah, actually, there are. As we were going through the sort of the research process, I should explain that we had a study group of 700-something people who went through different versions of this. As we were trying to figure out what works and what doesn't, like what if you're going to do just a couple things, what are what are they? And it was interesting that as we started to see the results come back, we found that really saying be generous, be kind, like what's that little action? There's all sorts of different ways that kindness plays out. And some people are really more naturally good at certain kinds of generosity than others. And it's really important to figure out, okay, what are the things that you that come naturally to you so you can do them more mm-hmm. and be more purposeful? Like, for example, I wouldn't have ever really thought about it, but one of the types of actions of, of generosity, one of the little things that you, you know, number three thing that you do every day is to really be purposeful about entering the other person's world. Like mm. looking for what matters to them and signaling that. And, and I'll give you an example. So just last night, here I am in the middle of this book launch, <laughs> and things are crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, don't bother me. I have the don't bother me signals up with my family. And my daughter, who is 16 years old, who is the person I'm doing the 30 Day Kindness Challenge for right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's a great kid, but she can roll her eyes with the best of them. Um, and I really want to, you know, improve this relationship. She's got a year and a half till she leaves college. Like, mm. what, you know? I really want to establish a great relationship with her. And so she comes to me and says, hey, would you watch this, you know, little YouTube video? This Mm. is the funniest thing. Would you you watch it? It's only six minutes. I'm like, six minutes? I don't have six minutes. And then I realized, no, wait. That's that's entering her world. Like she loves sharing stuff like this and me experiencing with it, it with her. That is a, a little signal that says, I value you. Mm-hmm. You're valuable. And when you do this, when you do these three things, it really is just changing to be more purposeful about stuff that was kind of you were just operating on your default settings before. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. It's so simple, but it's just learning a few things you didn't know before. Yeah, it's just like retraining your brain to to think in a positive way about people. And it's something that we all, I think, can improve upon, even if we are more naturally inclined to be kind, or, or maybe we're not, or maybe, you know, there's just some people that are just downright unlikable, and we, we need that help and yeah. kindness in that area. Um and, you know, I, what, the other thing that I was seeing when I was looking through the information that you guys sent is that you have the kindness challenge, 30 days to improve any relationship that, you know, as an individual I can do. 
and anyone can do as an individual, but you also yeah. have these kindness challenge partnerships. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, we, we have turned this into, when we talk about, it's called the 30-day kindness challenge. That's, that is sort of what has come out from this. And honestly, it has been the most unbelievable thing to watch God move behind the scenes. Because I started out just saying, you know, it would be kind of fun to get some ministries and organizations and churches to do the 30-day kindness challenge with me. And, you know, it would be kind of fun. And, mm-hmm. and as I started approaching these huge national ministries that I worked with in marriage or family or this or that, you know, leadership, and they all started saying, yes, this is a moment in our culture when kindness has never been more needed. We want to partner with you to lead the way on this. And they're all stepping up to do these private label versions of the 30-Day Kindness Challenge. And I really hope that every church, every organization does a private label version of this. Because, I mean, like, for example, the Focus on the Family 30-Day Kindness Challenge mm-hmm. is starting soon. Like, what what ability do I have to talk Focus on the Family into something? <laughs> I, see, I see what God is doing. This is a moment when the church can completely lead the way. And that means that we as individuals have to be the ones that lead the way first. So I I really urge people, go, and I'm going to give you the website if you don't mind. It's all free. I'm not charging for anything. Mm -hmm. But you can sign up to do this at jointhekindnesschallenge.com. Jointhekindnesschallenge.com. So sign up and you'll get the daily reminder emails and have access to all the small group materials to be able to do this with a church or with a a book club or whatever, and it's all completely free. Yeah, so it's jointhekindnesschallenge.com, and that's something that a group or a church that you can do with your friends, or you can do it on your own as well. On your um, own. Yeah. There's the Kindness Challenge book. It's an excellent, excellent book. As I mentioned, we're going to be giving one away later this week. Otherwise, you know, you can find it Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Pick your favorite bookseller. It's there, and uh, you should go and pick it up. It's bright and yellow and happy, and <laughs> just, <laughs> it's, I, I love this book. So, okay, um, last thing, uh, right before we came on the air, you mentioned that you're going to be here in Las Vegas for the Aspire Women's Conference on February 24th, which is a Friday evening. It's over at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. Uh, is, that, that's, is that like our only chance for people to see you live in Las Vegas? Oh, I hope not. Okay. I actually hope. I hope that lots of churches end up doing the 30-day kind of challenge and bring me back in. But yeah, that's where I'm first going to be talking about it in Las Vegas, All right, which is so the Aspire Women's Conference. This yeah. is your first chance to see Shanti and maybe you know buy a book, get her to autograph it for you. That's always fun. Um, the Aspire Women's Conference coming up February 24th. All right, Shanti, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. The book is The Kindness Challenge, 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. Relationship. And this is someone that anyone and everyone can pick up and can utilize in their lives because it's, you know, I who's, whose quote was I reading? I read a quote from someone that was reviewing your book about how if we would just do this, we could transform our culture, which I think yeah, is awesome. Dr. Gary Chapman, yeah, the Five Love Languages author, he, he, he read this and he told me immediately, he's like, we have the most argumentative, mean culture. And I'm sure that everybody mm-hmm. listening would agree to that, right? Yeah. Like it's we all go, Oh, I hate it. I hate how mean our culture has become. And Dr. Chapman was telling me behind the scenes, he said, you know, it really takes each of us doing something like this because yeah. that is what opens our eyes to how we have been mean. Mm-hmm. 
and contributing to that without ever realizing it. And suddenly you do this, you realize it's so simple and you've not only transformed that one relationship you've been working on, but you've completely changed yourself. And you've just got so much more joy in your life to mm-hmm. boot. I mean, it's like a win-win for everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so pick up the Kindness Challenge. You can find. Uh, you can visit jointhekindnesschallenge.com. And Shanti, yep. are you on Facebook and Twitter that people can come follow you if they'd like to? Yep, exactly. Just go search for Shanti Feldhahn. All right, Shanti Feldhahn. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Everyone stay with us. We're going to play Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Don't go away. Some sociologists have called our culture the argument culture. We focus on our differences and freely shoot verbal bombs at each other. I can't believe that any of us are happy with the divisiveness we have created. Is there a road back to civility? I believe there is, and Shanti Feldhahn is pointing the way with the Kindness Challenge. I highly recommend this book and believe it has the potential of changing the emotional climate in our culture. That's what Gary Chapman said. Uh, He's the author of The Five Love Languages. He said about Shanti Feldhahn, who was just here with us. We talked about her new book, The Kindness Challenge. We're going to be giving this book away. It's hardcover. It's excellent reading material, and it will help transform uh, any relationship you, you feel needs work in your sphere of influence whether that be in your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, whomever, you want to stay tuned on Friday for your chance to win this book. Or you can buy it, like I said, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Anywhere where you buy books is where you can buy Shanti Feldhahn's book, The Kindest Challenge. All right, so I'm sitting here in studio thinking, okay, I only have a few minutes, need to wrap things up. Oh, I'll tell them about tonight's Family Life Conference and who's going to speak and where at and everything like that. And then I said, oh, no. I don't have a schedule, and I don't have time to run into the other building and get a schedule and run back to the studio before the song is over. And then I remembered. No need to fret. The MyLBC app has the conference schedule in it. So if you lost your handout, no problem. You can just go to MyLBC. And so I went to the app. And I was like, okay, I can't find it. I can't find it. I can't find it. Oh, and maybe it's over here. Maybe it's over here. Maybe it's over here. No, I was trying too hard. It's the first thing on the first screen when you open your app. So open the MyLBC app, which you can download iTunes or for your Android phone or the iStore. I don't know. Whatever. If you have an iPhone, you know what to do. So you just download it. Just search for MyLBC, and it has a little Liberty Baptist Church logo on it. That's how you know it's ours and not someone else's. Also, if you start, you know, if you download the MyLBC app and you start clicking on things, and they have events in, like, Houston... That's not us. You downloaded the wrong one, so try again. Um, but download the MyLBC app. It's the one with the little mountain logo that we have. Then homepage, top thing on the homepage, Family Life Conference. Click the logo, and then you can see the speakers. You can see who all the speakers are. You can get a conference schedule. So let me tell you about what's going on tonight. If you are here in Las Vegas, join us at 6.30 for our second night of our Family Life Conference. Tonight at 6.30, uh, Mr. Yen Lemison, he's going to be talking about firewalling your home. This is an excellent, excellent a session for you to attend if you have any questions whatsoever about how to uh, allow your family to enjoy the internet and social media and media in general in a safe way. He's, he has great resources, will give you um, information on both free uh, 
things that you can use to safeguard your home as well as things that you can buy if you want to be able to track different things. But it's it's really good. If you have any questions about that whatsoever, that's a session you do not want to miss. Uh, we also have Pastor Redland will be here again. He's going to be talking about having a Christ-centered marriage in the first session. And Pastor Matt is going to be talking about whether teenagers are a friend or a foe. And you say, well, that depends on the teenager, doesn't it? I don't know because I haven't been to the session and probably you haven't either. So you should go to that as well. Then uh, in the second session, we'll start at 710. And you know what? If you can't make it at 630, that's okay. Come at 710. At 710, uh, Aaron Wilson's going to be talking about dealing with in-laws. Now, personally, I I won't go to that session because I I don't have in-laws. But if you have in-laws, then, you know, that may be something that you, you... might want to attend. Uh, Pastor Tice is going to be talking about bringing up girls, and Pastor Matt is going to be talking about the land between. The land between what, you ask? I could tell you, because I know the answer, but it would be better if you go to the session and find out yourself. Then, to wrap things up, our last session will be at 7.50, uh, and we will be having a ladies' session. We'll be talking about the fear of the Lord and honoring authority, and Pastor Matt will be talking about teenagers. So, lots going on tonight here at Liberty. We're located at 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard. There's no cost to attend. You don't have to be a member here, anything like that. You can just come be part, learn about how to have a stronger family in 2017. We would love to have you here. So don't miss it. 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard in Las Vegas. And that's all the time that we have left for today. Thanks for being here. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search The Frittle Show and you can listen to past episodes of the show. Today's episode with Shanti will be up probably this afternoon. If you uh, missed the interview and would like to hear that, you can go just download it. Actually, if you subscribe on iTunes, that's even better because then anytime there's a new podcast up, it'll just come straight to your mobile device and uh, and you can listen to it there. All right, we're going to wrap things up today with Chris Tomlin. This is Jesus. This is a fantastic song. It's just called Jesus and I hope to see you again. Well, I won't see you because it's radio, so I can't actually see you, but I hope you'll join us again tomorrow at uh, 7 a.m. Pacific time or 6 p.m. Have a great day, everyone.